place in town right here. Man, it's so nice to have a cool sanctuary. A couple of you are frozen and got your sweaters on, but that's okay. We just, we need to cool it off. We're in Genesis chapter 39 as we keep working our way through this wonderful foundational book, and we're studying as we broke it up in a series, the whole book, we've broken it up in a series. Now we're looking at, we've been looking at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob struggled through Jacob. Now we're to Joseph in this last section of Genesis. is all about this man of integrity, this man of faithfulness, this man who really teaches us about forgiveness in a huge way when it comes to family. And so we're, we're studying this man's uh, life, and we get to a great, great story. You'll be so familiar with this story tonight. Everyone knows uh, this story it's very famous, and, and again, it, it teaches us a lot. This chapter it really is about Joseph and how he successfully faces temptation. He faces it head on, and he does all the right things, all, makes all the right moves. Now, I can't say that I've always done that. I don't think you can either. But we can learn a lot about uh, studying this man in his life. But the, the real main message of this story is maybe different than what you've always thought. I believe the main message of this story is suffering for the truth. Joseph is, is going to live the truth. He's a man of integrity. He becomes the, the poster boy, the hallmark for our Christian faith, really, when we look at this man in, in terms of sexual temptation. It's, it's this man that we looked at, and, and, and because he was a man of integrity, because he lived the truth, he's going to suffer. And, and there's a really important point there for you and I as believers. Suffering is part of the Christian life. Oh, Pastor Lee, don't tell me that. I, I, want, to t- I want to hear all about the peace and the joy and the love and all the great things that happen as a Christian. Hey, those are all part of being a Christian too. But suffering has its place. And, and it's in Joseph's imprisonment for doing the right thing that uh, we learn. And so that's why I've called this message, look at my title tonight, is Joseph's Promotion to Prison. Think about that. It's a promotion for him. This is important. God has been leading him all the way, wouldn't you agree? We've read about his life. Even though his brothers have thrown him into a pit, they tried to kill him. I mean, that, that was the first plot, I guess I should say. They didn't try, but that was the plot. And then they sell him. It was Judah, as you recall, the, the, uh, his brother that we just read about in the previous chapter, Judah. And in contrast to Judah, Joseph, he's, he's awesome. He's a bright, shining light. But God has been leading him in a pit, sold to these Egyptian Ishmaelites, these, these slave traders. They've gone all the way down to Egypt. Now he's in Egypt. And we'll talk a little bit about how long he's been there. I'll, I'll kind of go into that as I get into my study. But but here is where this hardworking, honest young man is living his life in a way that, that is, it's just, it just shines brightly, as I've said. His purity in regards to Potiphar's wife is going to get him thrown into prison. That's why I've called this his promotion, because God is leading him step by step, because God is teaching and training him. God uses hard knocks, difficult things, sicknesses. All kinds of things in our life to, to hone us, to shape us, to whittle away those rough edges, you could say. And it's, it's hard to imagine. Here's this young man. God has a special plan for him. Now, 
The reason I'm making such a big deal about this at the very beginning of the study, let me, let me tell you why. Because there's Christians, there's a large segment of, of evangelical Christianity and, and on TV, and they talk a lot about in your obedience and because of your strong faith, your faith, your personal faith, that because of all of those things, that God will always bless you and you'll walk in prosperity. Have you ever heard that before? That is not, I mean, think about this story. Think about it. It's the total opposite in this story. So that can't be true. I do believe that God wants us to walk in integrity, and God does bless us. And there are times that, that we do walk in, in prosperity, and, and that is part of our life as Christians, but it's not the only part. So don't get sucked into only the positive, only the blessings, only those things in obedience. Because pretty soon you believe as a Christian it's about you and about what you believe and about your faith and your strength. And I've got to have more. I've got to have more faith. I've got to have more. And when you fail, you'll go down hard. I see Christians go so hard they don't come back to church. And, and it's a real, real sad thing. I've seen it. I've watched it. So in this story... I want you to think differently about suffering, success. All those things should be challenged. And it's in this story. That's why I've given this its title, His Promotion to Prison. Because you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't, I, don't, I don't get that. But that's where we're at. So with your Bibles open, let's uh, pray. Father, we thank you for the word. I pray, Lord, for us as a church tonight that we would grow and mature. That the goal, Lord, of, of uh, Bible teaching and sitting, listening to the Bible expounded upon is not just for more knowledge and information, Lord, but it's so that we might grow, that we would experience all of these things that you've laid before us in your word, that we would read the story, we'd sense the story, we'd understand the the different people in the story, and, and Lord, that we would grow as a result. I pray for those in this room tonight that are struggling, Lord, that you would just encourage them. Maybe they're in prison by their own choice. Lord, may you you just release them and help them. Teach them. Teach us, Lord, as we come now to your word. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Again, a real quick review before we read the text. Uh, Joseph's life. When he was sold into slavery, he was about 17 years old. You can check that out in chapter 37, verse 2. And by the time he's elevated to the We'll see it later in chapter 41 when he finally gets to that place where he is second in command of all Egypt. I mean, we're talking about VP here. We're talking about leader of the world at that point. And he's second in in charge. That's in chapter 41. There's this time lapse, about 13 years in between. So there's 13 years between the time he got to Egypt and the time he was promoted to the second highest position in Egypt as well. So that means that Joseph had to go through things. Just like your life and my life as Christians, we don't become a Christian and all of a sudden we're the pastor and next we're Billy Graham. You know, it takes years to grow in, in Christ. Don't, don't, uh, don't think that your uh, lack of leading a Bible study or, or maybe being the head usher, don't think that's a lack at all. God has his timing for everything, and it takes time. I think that's another important point in this story. It takes time. God will use situations and things in our lives to grow and help us to grow. So these first six verses here, we find Joseph's promotion. 
I've entitled this first section, From Servant to Overseer. Notice how he goes from out in the field. That's his family. They're sheep herders. That's their whole thing. Jacob, remember that? He was all about sheep and livestock. So that's what he does. That's what he knows. But he's going to go from outside and doing all this stuff out to inside. He's going to have a managerial kind of job. Now, Joseph, verse 1, had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of his guard, an Egyptian, so there's his description, we'll talk a little bit about that, brought him from the Ishmaelites, or bought him, who had taken him down there. Now the Lord was with Joseph, verse 2, and he was successful, and he was in the house of the master of the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. I wonder how he saw that. And that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his master's sight. And he served him. He worked hard. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time he had made him overseer in his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus, He left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. All he was doing was eating, and he was making money. He's making money every day. He's just eating, eating, and everything was in Joseph's, under his management and prosperity. Joseph was handsome, this last detail here in in verse 6, in form and appearance. Now, there's a couple things I want to mention about Potiphar so we understand the story. This Potiphar, his name, you have to remember, he's from Egypt. These people, they worship everything that moves. They worship the sun and the moon. And this name, Potiphar, actually means devoted to the sun. And it was connected, obviously, to an Egyptian god because that's what they worshipped. Secondly, it says he's an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. So he's special agent, security Captain of the guard, he's, he's in charge of prisons, he's in charge of, of just security, it's like, like the bodyguard of Pharaoh and, and all that important security, that's, that's his job, Potiphar. He was highly trusted, obviously, because he was trusted by the Pharaoh. Verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph and he was successful. I love that. What made Joseph successful? The same thing that made Abraham successful? The same thing that made Isaac successful? The same thing that made Jacob successful, even though they weren't always right? It was God. God was blessing them. God had promised them the blessing in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where God tells Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a mighty nation. And so this blessing is going upon each one of the sons and the children of Israel here. And so this valuable blessing, and and Joseph is a successful man as a result. So Potiphar notices right away, anything that Joseph puts his hand on, remember there's 13 years there, but anything that Joseph puts his hand to, it just prospers. It grows. It multiplies. It's more valuable after Joseph sees it or makes a decision about it. Joseph is a very successful man, and his master notices how valuable he is as an employee. And then notice my next point here in verse 3. God blesses Potiphar for Joseph's sake. 
His master saw the, that the Lord was with him. I love that. I love that. I thought we could stop here right now and talk about that. Does your master, does your boss, does your wife, does your employer, not that your wife's your master, but, but do, I didn't know if you caught that. But does your master, your boss, your employer, your supervisor, do they know that you love the Lord? Do they know that you really have committed yourself to Christ? Do they know it? His master knew that. His master knew that God was the most important thing in his life, that God was precious to him. How did he know that? Was it worship? Was it prayer? Was it devotion? We, we don't have any record of that, but we know that his master saw that the Lord was with him. Now, remember how the story started here. He's sold into slavery by his brothers. He's taken away from his loving father who made him the special coat, kind of gave him authority because something special about this young man. And all the, the bad situations that he's gone through to get to this place, he's in a foreign country, he's had to learn a new tongue, a new language, new customs, new names. He's a young man, it's easier for young men, but he's learned all these things. Again, 13 years, he's, he's been working on this, and his master even recognizes that everything he does touches because he knows his God. Oh, that's so key there, it's so important, challenging as well. He's a hard-working man, and his boss knows it. Again, the application is, if Jesus has really made a change in your life, Christian, does your boss know it? Do your neighbors know it? Do your friends know it? They should know it. This, this world needs Christ. We need to live for Jesus and share him. So important for us to share that. But Paul, I love what Paul says about hard work here. I've got a scripture I'll put up behind me, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That really is, is a verse that, that should mark every one of us as believers. And obviously, Joseph was working really hard. God blessed the employer. God blessed the company because he was there. Would that, oh, oh, oh would that be said of you and I, that God would bless? I, I pray that all the time, that God would bless the, the fellowship because I love him and because I serve him. But Potiphar... He saw the extraordinary ability of this young man, Joseph, and he gave him more authority. And so God blessed him, and it started to spill over. It spilled over. It wasn't just contained. He didn't just keep it for himself. It just spilled over in everyone's life, everyone in the house. The other servants knew it. The boss knew it. The other servants knew his integrity. They knew he loved God. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And so Potiphar honors him by giving him full charge here. Verse 5, so it was from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Uh, that's a great understanding. Now, Moses is recording this, and he's leading this. This is years in the future now. He's leading the children of Israel that have been wandering They've been in captivity, and now they're wandering. And this story, they're going to read this story. It's going to bring great encouragement to them, their, their family and, and God's blessing. All those things would have spoken tremendously to each one of them. But everything is going good for young Joseph here because he's doing a great job. God is blessing him and blessing everyone around him. Verse 6, thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread that he ate. I think that's a real telling comment, isn't it? 
And Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So this last detail in, in verse 6 here, that he was handsome in form and appearance, it's the same description of Joseph that was used in reference to his mom. She got the same, you can read it in chapter 29, verse 17. Beautiful like his mom. He's handsome. He's, he's doing the work. He's hardworking. And uh, it's just a great description. So Joseph. Probably is working where? Is he in the field? I'm not sure. I think he's in the house. I think he's in the house somewhere with Potiphar. We'll find later that, that uh, he would at least have an office in the house because he was in the house when that mad woman chased him around. But, but he must have had an office or access to the house. He was inside and outside. He could go in there whenever he pleased. Why? Because the boss, he'd be eating breakfast one day. Oh, there's Joseph walking. Look at how hard he works. You know. All he he was concerned about was what he ate. And so Joseph, he's working hard. Potiphar's wife knew all about this young man, this handsome young man too, and his schedule. That's why she boldly propositioned him. Notice here in verse 7, as we move into the story, Joseph resists that temptation. Look at verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, notice what she does first, cast longing eyes, ladies, Do you do that with your husband? You should do that with your husband. She cast longing eyes on Joseph, and and she said, this is the kind of the the subtle approach here, lie with me. But he refused. And he said to her, he spoke to her, his master's wife, no name mentioned, by the way. There's no name. It's Mrs. Potiphar. We don't know her name. These women that we don't get the name of, they're they're pretty nasty. Their, Their names aren't mentioned, obviously. But he refused and said to his master, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me. But you, because you're his wife, you're his wife, you're married to him. What are you thinking? I I, I really believe that's what he's saying there. He's he's speaking directly to her. What, What is, you are married. You're his wife. What is wrong with you? So it was. Uh, oh, let's see. Because of, Oh, how then, middle of verse 9, how then can I do this great wickedness? And then notice he says, and sin against God. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day. So she's coming to Joseph with her, I don't think I can do it, but whatever her eyes did. <laughs> She's giving him the eye. Every time he walks by, she's, whatever. (laughs) That's the best I can do. But she's talking to him, spoke to him every day. She's always, Joseph, come here. You know, she's laying on the couch. Joseph, Joseph. I mean, just that every day, this is going on. It's not just once. That's the point here. It goes on and on and on, this temptation, this woman, her eyes, she's speaking to him day by day that he did not listen to her. He just kept, there she is, he'd be gone. He'd walk down the hall, run the different direction or whatever. Again, there's some great teaching here, great examples. Day by day, he didn't listen to her, to lie with her or to be with her. He stayed away from her. She was dangerous in his mind. So Joseph, he's going to do these four things, and I want to highlight these things because this is important. If you're struggling with temptation, 
might not even be this kind of temptation. It might be gossip temptation. It might be, it could be any number of things. But let's look at this. I want to give you four things that will help you resist temptation right from the text here. At the, in the middle of verse 7 and into verse 8, we see he refused immediately. This is the important point here. And as far as temptation in his life, he's going to immediate turn away from it. It says in verse 7, his wife, she was casting these eyes at Joseph and said, lie with me, verse 8, but he refused. Mrs. Potiphar is very direct in her approach, approach and Joseph is just as direct saying, no. He just said, no, and he, he's out of there. He doesn't, he doesn't think about it. Oh, somebody's thinking about me. What do you think about me? What do those eyes mean? What, you like the way I look? You think I'd... He doesn't do that. See, that's where temptation will get you every time, Christian. When you stand around, when you wait around, when you start to listen, when you start to get enticed by it. It's a lure. It's a trap. And so we need to understand that. And I, I love the way this story makes it so clear. But he refused immediately. He, he doesn't even get close to that sin. He just says no. He refuses. And here's the point. The longer we wait to say no, the harder it is to do what's right. The longer we wait to say no to something we know in the Scriptures is wrong, the harder it is to do the right thing. We, so we have to keep distance from sin, and that's exactly what he's doing. He refused immediately. Number two, he counted the cost realistically. My next point, he counted the cost realistically. Look at verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, I love the way Moses is writing this under the inspiration, but the master's wife, there's a, there's a real strong delineation here. Look, my master does not know what is uh, with me in the house and has committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in the, ha- the house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How then can you do this great wickedness and sin against God? So Joseph has this realistic view of what's at stake he understands. He's a godly man. He's a man of integrity. He's read. He knows. He's been taught. He has following the Lord. I, I love that about this young man. He knows exactly what he's to do, and he has this, this view, and he's, he's counted the cost, and he knows what he wants. He, he, it, it was a violation of trust in his heart and mind Potiphar trusted him with everything he had. It was a violation of marriage. He made mention of that. My, my master has withheld nothing but, but you. I, I have a rule of everything in this house. I can come and go when I want. All of its food, all of its resources, I can double and triple and, and give to whoever I want to. But you, you're off limits because you're his wife. But most importantly, I love what he says there at the end of verse 9. He says, how can I do this great wickedness? and sin against God. Joseph knew that. He knew that his violation, his sin would be against God. He wasn't going to do it. He was manning up here. I, I love this. He, he is committed, and he is not gonna, he's not going to uh, allow anything happen. He makes a quick decision, and then he counted the cost realistically. The cost of immorality is very, very high. Think about the cost of immorality. When someone commits adultery, other people get hurt. Children, a spouse, the rest of the family, the the Christian who commits this sin. 
undermines the fellowship that they are in, whether you're a man or a woman. You undermine the fellowship because people say, what church did you go to? But you did that? You undermined not only your family, but you hurt others in the fellowship as well, those that are faithful and believers in the church. You hurt them. And number three, you lose credibility. You lose your opportunity to serve God, at least for a while, and probably a long while. One of my favorite Bible teacher pastors for many, many years, you know, fell into this immoral sin. And I remember getting a report just days after he relinquished this massive uh, ministry that had multiple campuses and over 20,000 Christians were in attendance listening to this man teach. And I remember what he said to another pastor because that pastor told me exactly. He talked to him on the phone and the first words out of his mouth, the pastor said, what happened? And the first words out of his mouth was, it is not worth it. That's what he said. It's not worth it. I sinned. I, I blew, big, blew it big time. I'm out of here. The church is doing pretty good now, but it really struggled. And, and uh, counting the cost and understanding, but you, you hurt so many people when you yield to temptation, not to mention the embarrassment for your family and your children. So, oh, that we would count the cost and the consequences of our action, that we would be like Joseph and resist temptation Maybe you're thinking, well, I've never committed adultery, Pastor Lee. I I, I got a pass tonight. No, what what, what if your temptation is gossip and you spread gossip around and you hurt other people with your mouth? There's a lot of different temptations I could list, but, but don't excuse yourself. We all can fall prey to this trap. The third thing that I see is he resisted the pressure persistently. He did persistently. Notice in verse 10, so it was that she spoke to Joseph day by day, and he did not heed her, he did not lie with her, and he didn't even hang around her. So Joseph refused, even though she came day by day and spoke to him over and over again. The text doesn't say here, but I can just imagine as a man, if a woman was trying to get my attention or if a woman's trying to get another man's attention, she's going to dress a little different than she would at work. Wouldn't you agree? I am imagining that she's dressing provocatively around Joseph, and then she gives him the eye, whatever that is. (laughs) And she's talking to him all the time. So she's in different poses in different places, you know. She shows up as he walks through the door. She she grabs him or accosts him as he comes out of the bathroom. Whatever it is, she's there. She's constantly, constantly, persistently there. And he resists this pressure. He resists it over and over and over again. Potiphar is gone for the day. She's, she's got him in the trap. Maybe she sends all the other servants away. He, this is a, a big-time official in the government. He's got servants all around him in the house. We'll see that as the story progresses. And she's going to get rid of them all just, just this once. you know. So here's the application. It doesn't matter what your, what your struggle is. It might not be in this area of sexuality. It might be alcohol. It might be drugs. It could be a lot of different things. 
But whatever it is you're struggling with, Satan is going to hit you hard, and he's going to be persistent. He's going to be on your case. Do you you understand that, right? And you have to be ready and persistent to say no, 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 all the time because you want to honor the Lord, because you know his word. He's persistent. The devil, that is. He's persistent in, in going after us in that way. And the person in the New Testament that knew that the most is Peter. Peter knew that more than anybody. Remember what Jesus said to Peter. He said, Satan is going to sift you. He's going to sift you. But I prayed for you, Peter. Peter, Peter was, he struggled with his temptation. He knows all about temptation. In fact, this is what he said. Look at what he wrote here in 1 Peter. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. That, that came from Peter. Peter knew it. That's why those words are so important. The bottom line is, is we need to choose immediately, and we need to be persistent about saying no because of the cost of sin. We need to remind ourselves over and over and again and again and again. That's the point here. So he refused immediately, counted the cost realistically. He resisted the pressure persistently and fourthly. He fled the trap decisively. I love this, verse 11. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work. He worked there. He had an office in the house. And none of the men in the house was inside. Hmm, I wonder who arranged that. That she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and ran outside. Hallelujah. This is, this is the verse for, for us, Christian. This is what we do when a sin accosts us. We're out of here. Like, like I remember little cartoons, you know, when, when it didn't matter which one of the, the figures it was. I used to love the little chipmunks, Chip and Dale, but when they would run, there was like a little smoke ring behind them. You know, bam, they were gone. And that's what I see. You know, beat feet. When sin is there, you got to beat feet. you got to stay away from it. you got to resist it, and you have to, to decisively move away from it. Joseph's job obviously brought him into the house, so he didn't have a choice. He had to go in the house. He, he probably got up in the morning and thought, i got to go in that house again. He looks in the windows, you know. I wonder if she's around. He sneaks in the house really quietly, and boom, she jumps out at him. You know, that, I mean, that's, that's the way the story, she's trapping him. She traps him, and the house is empty. The servants are gone, and so she made her move here. And it says in verse 12, I love to kind of look at the words. It says it caught him by the garment, verse 12. And the word, the Hebrew word there, tapas, means to seize by surprise. It's a great word to seize, and she caught him, but it surprised him. So he's looking one way, thinking he's going to get away from her, and she's standing right here, and all of a sudden, boom, you know. She, she sees and surprises him. She caught him by his garment, and he left. I love This is King James, by the way. He left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. I love that. He got him out. I don't know what your translation says, but, but here's the point. No one else is going to get him out. He, he had to get himself out. He, had to, he got him out. And so I, I love King Jimmy for that reason. That's, you have, I love reading the different translations. It's really, really entertaining and, and, and thought-provoking as well. But notice that Joseph, 
He doesn't linger and watch. She's got caught him now with a coat. He doesn't say, um, you know, I think I need to pray about this. Can I just take a moment here and get on my knees and pray about this? I mean, think of how dumb that is. Pastor Leah, I wouldn't have succumbed to the, the, the temptation, but I, I stopped and prayed about it and it just overtook me. That's just dumb. He didn't stop and pray about it. He made an instant decision. He knew what was right. He didn't even think about it. It was ungodly, and so he just took off running. And here's a great place to share another verse. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we see that God always provides a way for you and I to escape temptation. There's no reason for us to fall for it and sin. Look at this verse behind me, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able but will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That's a promise, by the way. It's in your weakness, in your flesh, that you made the wrong decision. But God, there was a way to get out of it. There's an escape pathway that God has provided for you. He always provides a way out. But you have to choose it. You have to make that determination. I believe that Joseph had already made the determination. He saw this woman way off. He knew this, this gal, look at her eyes. It started with the eyes. There's something going on with this woman. And then it was the clothes. And then it was, she was always trying to, you know, catch him somewhere. He knew. So he was trying to stay away from her. And he was trying to choose his way out. But finally, he had, there was nothing else he could do. He just left his coat and he ran there, verse 12 at the end there, left the garment in her hand. Remember, she grabbed, she, she caught him, so she's got the garment in her hand, and he fled, and he ran outside. Now, you might be thinking that he's naked. He's not naked. That's just his coat. Remember, he had that coat of many colors. So he's got an undergarment as well on, and so he's running outside. Joseph just leaves the garment in her hands, and he fled the trap decisively. Here's my application for that. Sometimes you just need to run. You just need to make that decision, that split second decision and run away from sin. And Jesus said, let me give you a couple of verses really quick. Jesus says, you have to take decisive action against sin. Look what he says here. If your right hand offend thee, wow. Think about that. Now, I'm not advocating, neither was Jesus, that you actually cut your wrist off. But, but he's saying that when you face sin, brothers and sisters, you've got to do something drastic. You've got to do it now. That's, that's the whole point here. The, the, if you read the rest of that section in Matthew 5, he says, if your eye offends you, what are you supposed to do? Pluck it out. In other words, take drastic and immediate action. That's the point. We shouldn't all have our, I mean, we should probably all be blind for the things that we've seen. And, and the older you are, the less you should have, you know, no hands and fingers and no feet. So we, <laughs> we know that that's not what Jesus meant. But, but the point being that you're to take drastic action. Paul told us in 2 Timothy, here's another great verse, 2 Timothy 2.22. He says, Flee youthful lust. Flee. That doesn't mean kind of saunter out of the room. That means you run, you split, you get, beat feet, whatever. Youthful lust. So that we're talking about sexuality, sexual enticements, fornication, adultery. 
And then he says, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord of a pure heart. I love that. Flee youthful lust. He's saying flee sexual immorality. And again, this is not a figure of speech here, Christians. This is a battle plan. Do you have a plan? What's your plan when temptation comes? What's your plan? You need to have some kind of a plan that you're going to follow. More than just an excuse, more than trying to be polite, you need to decide quickly and get away from sin because that window of opportunity is, is just, it's, it's, it's narrow. You've you got to make a quick run. Years ago, let me give you an illustration. I, you might remember, I think it was 99 or 2000, being a pilot, I, I love these stories, but it was Payne Stewart, the golfer, won three masters. You know, he was just winning, winning, winning in the late 90s before Tiger Wood. He's flying his Learjet, and he's got four other people in the plane, and for some reason, something happened. The oxygen system failed. And the plane's on autopilot, and it's, I think they left from somewhere down in Florida, and it starts going north. And it's, the, the air traffic controllers are trying to contact, and there's nothing. So they, they, they launch a plane. They get real close to it. They look in the Learjet, and it's just all ice crystals inside the window. What happened was the oxygen system failed. And when that oxygen system failed, you know, when you're on a plane, they, the stewardess comes out and she does the door thing and then she pulls on the, you're supposed to put that oxygen mask on. You've only got seconds to put that on, by the way. That's why they make such a big deal. While you're reading your magazine and picking your nose, you're supposed to be paying attention to the stewardess because when that comes down, you've got to start breathing on that because if you don't, you're going to pass out. You'll pass out that quick. And pilots know that. I know that. Hypoxia, there's other things, but you need to be... If you, you've got a slim window, here's my point, you've got a slim window, you've got to grab that oxygen and put it on. In terms of sin, you've got a slim window to make a decisive, quick decision. You need to have a plan right now. You need to know as a Christian that you're not going to allow sexual immorality or any other sin beset you, ruin you. It'll ruin you, your family, it'll hurt others around you, it'll hurt your church. You've got to have a battle plan. I love this story for that reason. It teaches us those things. Joseph acted decisively and quickly, and he overcame all of these things. At the end of verse 12, he left his garment in her hand and fled. Verse 13, we have Potiphar's wife. It's a false accusation here real quick. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. She makes up a story. We're Egyptians. He's a Hebrew. See, he's come here to mock us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. You know, nobody heard that. Why? Why didn't anybody hear her loud voice? Because they were, number one, they were out of the house. Number two, it didn't, it didn't happen. She's lying. And it happened, she goes on with her tale. When he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me, and he fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until the master came home. Now she's going to tell her husband. Then she spoke to him with the words like these. So Moses is writing the story. That's why it's written this way. The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to mock me. So it happened. I lifted up my voice, cried out. Then he left his garment with me and fled outside. Now, there's no trial. There's no... Can I hear your side of the story, Joseph? Um, obviously, he's upset that his wife is claiming she's been raped. 
You know, he's obviously upset about that. Um, he just makes a decision here. But the, the real evidence here is there's a slave from, that was purchased from the Ishmaelites there in Canaan that was brought to Egypt. We're Egyptians. He's, he's from out of the country, so he's the bad guy. And then he's sent to prison. My next point here, verse 19, Joseph is sent to prison. It came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, After this manner did thy, thy servant... Uh, uh, after this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. I'm, I, I threw the King James in here cause, just because it speaks a lot. And Joseph's master took him, verse 20, and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in prison. So when I read this story, and I know that this guy's the chief captain of the guard. He's the head security guy. He has authority to, to put people in prison to cut their necks off. I mean, he has that authority. But he doesn't do that to Joseph. Very interesting. God's prospering Joseph, okay. But secondly, I believe that this man doesn't really believe his wife. He gives him a kind of a lenient sentence. Because the prison is in his house. It's right there. It's in the, there's a basement, there's a dungeon, I don't know, it's right there. That's, that was his job. He was the captain of the guard. He, he kept prisoners, and we'll see the, the baker and the cupbearer in the story next week. They're in prison, that's where they all meet together, in prison, in the house. So you have to believe here that he's getting off, or getting a light sentence from his master, Joseph was being blessed by God, and God's going to prosper him now in prison. And notice it says in verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of his keeper in prison. So, so God is blessing him. There's no doubt that Joseph succeeded because of God's blessing. If you go back to verse 2 real quick, the Lord was with Joseph. He was successful. Verse 3, his master saw the Lord was with him. And the Lord made him prosper. Verse 5, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. So even after Joseph is falsely accused, he's thrown into prison. God is continuing now to bless him in prison. Light sentence. And we're going to see that he's given uh, uh, care over the prisoners as well. He's, he's such a faithful guy. And everybody knows it in the house. The prison's in the house. The servants in the house know his integrity. They know this man. He's in prison, and even the, the prison guard knows Joseph. It's like, well, this is just bunk. In fact, the prison guard probably saw Mrs. Potiphar chasing him around the house, and all the other servants probably saw him or saw her chasing Joseph around the house. God was going to bless him. The conclusion here of this story, is, it's really undeniable. God never leaves his children regardless of their circumstances. In this case, he's in prison. God is continuing to bless him. We as Christians are going to go through difficulties and hardships. Joseph is the poster boy of, of a man of integrity and faithfulness, but he's in prison now. And again, I think it speaks to you and I as Christians. There, tough times, either they're coming or might come in your lifetime sometime. You might go through a difficult place. Or you're wondering, God, wh where are you? What, why am I in this place? Why am I sick? Why am I in prison? Why am I, why? 
that God uses these situations for his glory and his purpose. God is sovereign in what he does. We'll see more of that next week in chapter, or in two weeks in chapter 40. So the, the necessity of suffering and adversary, uh, not adversary, but the necessity of, of suffering and difficulty in the life of the Christian is taught throughout the Bible. Let me throw a verse out at you real quick. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. We're hard-pressed, Paul says, on every side, yet not crushed. As Christians, we're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. I could have shown you 10 of those verses. The New Testament teaches that we go through hardship as Christians in this life, and that God will allow those kinds of things to happen, even facing temptation. But Joseph, he faced temptation. He had a plan, and he was successful. He ran. She came day by day to him, but he constantly refused her. He resisted that temptation. That's that's really the beauty of the story. So Joseph had victory over sin, number one, because the Lord was with him, number two, because he had a plan. So there's lots to learn in this man's story. And, and I'm so grateful that we finally got here to his story. And I would encourage you to read forward. I'm not going to be here next week. I'm going to go to a pastor's conference, Costa Mesa. Uh, Big Calvary's having a conference. There's pastors from all over the place coming. Esther and I are going to be down there. Pastor Chris is going to be here to teach. So be, you be here on, on Wednesday night. And then we'll pick up the story in chapter 40 in two weeks. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight. And Lord, the truth of this story, the, the lessons that are available for us to learn. Oh, I pray for any here, for men that are maybe being enticed sexually by by someone not their wife, that they would run, they would flee, that they would learn from this. Women that may have the same issue, Lord, that they would have a plan, that they would decide before it comes and run when it happens. And Lord, as, as your people, I pray that you would keep us holy and pure. Help us, Lord, to be strong. It's, it's hard in this world. And I pray that you would just help each one of us here, Lord, with whatever temptations we're struggling with. And Lord, if there are some that are in prison, maybe it's a sickness, an illness, a difficulty in their life, they're, they're struggling now. Help them, Lord, from this story to understand that you're going to be there to bless them, that you're going to lead and guide them. They just need to keep their eyes on you and be faithful. So, Lord, thank you for the many lessons we're learning in your word. In Jesus, we pray. Amen.